0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, I am so delighted to have Melissa Moody here. How are you, Melissa?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to finally, I've been fangirling your show for quite a while, so I'm excited to finally be here.
0: I'm so excited to have you on today. Let me tell you a bit about Melissa. She is a full-stack marketing executive and entrepreneur with a passion for user-first products and a talent for creating clarity from chaos. Her background includes 14 years in large partner marketing at Google, and most recently the role of CMO and co-founder at a SaaS startup, Gated. She hosts Two Pizza Marketing, the podcast for small team marketers, and recently founded Wednesday Women, a company raising visibility for outstanding female executives on LinkedIn and beyond. She has lived in Alaska with her family since 2014. Fun fact, before I turn it over to you, I visited Alaska a little bit ago and it was my 37th state. And so I am excited, excited. Um, It was a a great place to visit. So share with us, how did you start your career and how did you get to where you were today?
1: Well, you know, my career actually started in a very interesting spot. Out of college, I was a teacher. I have my master's, my MS in education. I taught language-based learning disability education at the high school level for a couple of years in the Northeast of the US and loved it. I mean, I love education. I still have a deep passion for education, but in 2006, I moved coasts. I came to Seattle on the West Coast and thought about, you know, finding the next right place to work. But my work in education was very specialized. Working with LBLD kids is a very niche part of education. Um, Brilliant minds that just work a little differently. You have to have the right setup to help them learn. At that point in 06, I realized I needed a setting around me that would let me run a little faster. Education is a wonderful field, but it tends to move slowly. It's a big system. It takes a lot of passion. It takes a lot of work. And I wanted to run fast. If you'll learn one thing about me in this conversation, it's that I run very, very fast. And so I started actually looking for what I could do in the corporate world that would build off those skills. And if you think about it, both education and marketing, you have a message, you have an audience, and you're trying to get the audience to receive your message and understand your message. And so I actually pivoted from education to marketing in 06, um, started work at a very fun, small, scrappy company. You might know it as Google, <laughs> but it was in Google in that year in Seattle, the office was only about 35 people. So I got to be part of a very rapid, you know, highly focused on the products first dip into marketing was within that large company scope and I spent Mm -hmm. as you know a long time there but really from that educational foundation in through Google and then later through the startup for me it's always been around really thinking about the human at the end who's receiving the message and how do we market well how do we get the message to them Mm. Um, you know sales and marketing are so much about not the message but the actual audience for the message and that's definitely been a thread through my entire career.
0: Mm the human being at the end of the message, right? It's what I am so passionate about. Human to human yes. selling, human to human. So when you think about your career um, in education, and so you, you mentioned uh, language-based learning differences. Mm-hmm. Um, my youngest son is dyslexic, so I know a lot about <laughs> these type of things. I've been around this world. So what are some of the lessons that you learned working in that space that you were able to apply into the corporate space?
1: I mean, number one is that thinking differently is thinking creatively and beautifully and awesome. I mean, some of the most incredible leaders in our world have either official diagnoses or they would probably find you know, spots in which they learn differently, right? Our yeah. brains are so unique. Yeah. And I found with the students that I had way back when, Just sometimes the diagnosis opened up the positivity because as soon as they knew it wasn't them that was wrong, it wasn't something wrong that they were doing. It wasn't that they weren't the same as everyone else. When you told them, you know, instead of going from A to B to C, your brain goes A, D, Q, P, F, C, Uh but that's a really cool way to get to C. When you reframe it in that way and you say like, yeah, your brain chemistry is different, but that can be an amazing thing. I take that every day. You know, if we look at like B2B marketing right now, oh my God, we're going A to B to C, A to B to C. It's so dang boring. So I love finding the people. I love finding the companies that are thinking in these very different ways, which change things up and open new doors and actually just allow us to appreciate the differences in humanity as well. It's a core lesson that being different is being beautiful, right? And In business and in marketing, being different can also help you stand out and drive revenue.
0: <laughs> it does. And I know from you know being the mom, I often share this when I'm doing a speech or a training. I have my oldest son. He's um, gifted and talented, identified. He was actually, when I picked him up, he was like, yeah, I was just looking at my GT test and I got like a 99 in this, a 92 in that, a 97 in that. Like He's always been like that. Whereas my youngest son, he's dyslexic. And so- it's not that they're any one is smarter than the other. It's not that they're better than the other. It's that their brains learn differently. And the lessons that I've learned from having a dyslexic child is because he needs to understand the origins of things, He just Mm. doesn't see word letters and he can't string them together. He needs to know that if there's an A and an E and then there's a consonant, this is what it does. If there's an E at the end of the word, he needs to understand the rules. And so in the way that I train and teach and facilitate, I make sure I meet the person who gets it quickly by hearing and I meet the person who needs to understand the rules. They need to touch it. They need to feel it. They need to experience it.
1: So good. I mean, that is a huge one. You know, the way anybody learns, and again, this is the same for sales and marketing audiences, is they're going to, some receive the audio message well, and some receive the written word well. They can actually interpret that. And some, I mean, one of the big tools, you know, in the teaching we did was around kinesthetic learning, literally touching things. Physically touching blocks that represent sounds can open up those pathways. So when you think about, yeah, don't just send the same format, try different formats. That's a really great point. Yeah. Look at all the lessons. We could probably do a whole show just Listen, on that.
0: I mean, and cause you're, you're just hitting my, you know, I love my babies. I can talk about them all day, but like mm-hmm. that kinesthetic piece it's important, right? Because in sales and in marketing, everybody right now is bombarded by digital, digital, digital. I'm like, yes. yeah, that's great. However, like there are other things too. I literally got a card in the mail from one of my friends because my love languages are words, affirmations, and gifts. And if you send me a card, you've hit both in one. And so I'm excited. But our prospects like that too. Your prospects may need to see written words. They may need to have a physical item on their desk representing you so they can touch it, feel it, see it. And so we have to step outside of our world and step into those of our prospects. How do they receive information? What do they like?
1: Yes, and the, think about the kind of rebirth of events as well post COVID, right? So I'm seeing companies are finding huge value in in person events, which we were missing for so many years. And all of us, to your point, digital, digital, digital all the time, you can break through the noise if you do a killer in person, you know, curated dinner or something. It can be gangbusters. So, yeah.
0: Yes, yes, yes. We can. I know we can go down this path for a long time, but we're going to, we're going to let it, let it live because I mean, like there, I literally in a seven week period, I was on 14 flights because everybody's like, we're not doing anything else online. We need our people together. We need to hear live speakers. And it's like the human connection, right? We talked about this human to human marketing and human to human selling. And it's because the power of connection. So even when these salespeople, my Achilles heel, these salespeople are like, I'm just not closing business. I'm not doing, I'm like, you're a field salesperson. I need you to get out of your office and go sell. I need to go see people. Right. And then I, at the same company, I talked to somebody who was in marketing and she was like, the salespeople don't want me to see their customers. And I just want to get the voice of the customer. And I don't get it. I said, it's because they don't want to work. It's not you. They just don't want to work. They don't want to leave their office. Right. And so it's like that connection of people.
1: Yeah, that's beautifully said. I mean, there's so much that can be solved. I also have like this strong passion in my work and in the work that I like to spend my time on, which is I really believe that the product matters, the product you're selling, but it needs to be a product that connects to the human. So for me, that human is at the root of everything. Um, it sounds basic, but sometimes it really is a good reminder when we look at our own roles to put that end human back into the conversation and really think about it.
0: So how does somebody go from being so product-centric to really putting the human in the center of what they're doing?
1: Well, first start with build a product that is human-centric, especially in the world of PLG that we live in right now. I mean, if your product team isn't already thinking this way and you're, let's say you're a sales or a marketer, I would suggest something to the effect of a, a design sprint day or a day where you all sit down and you actually look through the product and look for moments where your product touches the either, you know, the upsell or the new sell, right? Are there moments where the product is exposing itself to new customers? I mean, that's really product-led growth is finding these moments of viral growth from within the product. Now, not every product has that, but I would I would propose that most products at least have a few moments of upsell value or moments where they're touching your current customers at least. So in a product-led growth world, Yes, it could be touching new customers, but the sales and marketing team should also be aware of where is this existing product that we have? Where does it touch our current customers in a way that they are then helping the sales and marketing flow? Is there a time when it might prompt to gather a testimonial? What if someone's loving it, or it's just showed you, you used our product to create X much more value. There's a moment right there where you could capture a testimonial that could then be used up in the sales and marketing flow. Or maybe in the product, Every time somebody adds, you know, extends invites to people to bring them onto their team, that's creating a moment of value because it's more data for the person using the product, it's good for them, but it's also good for the sales and marketing funnel, right? There are moments in product that should be deeply connected to how we are selling and marketing that product. So if you don't have that relationship, that's step one. Build a relationship with your product team. I talked with a a CMO leader, just two days ago. And I asked at an early stage fast growth company, how often was he meeting with his product team? He said he meets with customer success once a week and he meets with product leadership every three weeks. That's a pretty rigorous cadence for a marketing leader to be having regular conversations, but I think it's critical. So if anyone on these teams is listening and saying, how do I start that relationship? honestly it's pick up the phone and set a meeting right Mm. ask what they're working on get the roadmap have them walk you through the product or the features that are coming think about how you can integrate what might be a standard pitch with real product meatiness
0: you mentioned something that really sparked something inside me i was on this panel and it was all about ai and I told them, when they asked me to be on the panel, I was like, you guys know I talk about humans. Like, why am I on here? They're like, no, no, no. We, we want you to bring the human side to AI. I said, okay, I can do that. So they asked the question and they said, should the CMO be responsible for bringing new innovations, bringing AI into the organization? Everyone on the panel said no. And I said, no, you guys are wrong. And I said, yes, they should. And everybody's like, what? And I said, because they have to have one ear to the customer and one ear inside the company. And that is their job. Their job is to be innovative and to listen to the voice of the customer and take that and say, hey guys... These are the things that we need to do. And so you brought in the product piece too. And it's like, Mm -hmm. how can a marketer be effective? How can somebody who is meant to brand the company, to strategize, be effective if they don't know what the product is doing, if they don't know what the customers are doing, if they don't know what the sales team is doing. And I was like, you guys are putting too low expectations on your CMOs. Like if they're Mm -hmm. not doing these things, these are areas and things that they need to be focused on because that is one of the things that they should carry on their shoulders.
1: Totally agree. Um, Six Senses, Lotney kind of always talks about the CMO not being the chief marketing officer, but being the chief market officer. Mm, And I think that that's a really interesting shift in perspective because it's not just take what we've got and then go shouting from the rooftops. I mean, that's the, you know, that's the external perception of what marketing does. No, it should be understanding what the market wants, what the features are that will resonate with your target customers. And then coming back and having that relationship with the product team that says, are we building the right thing for the right people at the right time? I mean, there's so much there. And yeah, that does broaden the scope of a CMO's role. But I, I think you're right on. I yeah. think you're right on.
0: Yes. This world that we live in, when we can help shift people's perspective of these self learning beliefs or these ingrained thoughts that they have and say, well, think about it this way. And they're like, I never thought about it like that. Right. Yeah. Um, that's really where our power comes from. So you mentioned you were at a a really huge tech company and then you went into startup world. When you were at that large tech company, when you were at Google, when did you know it was time for you to make a move?
1: There was a very clear moment. So I, I was very fortunate enough to have an extraordinary manager in my early time at Google. And when I needed to move for personal reasons, as you mentioned, I I live in Alaska, which does not have a Google office. He was the one who was able to keep me doing what I was doing. Uh, I was in a global role, so it really didn't matter to be sitting in a specific office. And that was almost six years prior to the pandemic. So I have been working remotely and loving it and feeling like technology is finally at the point where we can do it effectively for many, many years. Now, as maybe people have seen in the news Google was not and continues to not be remote friendly. All through the pandemic, it was in six months, we're coming back to the office. In three months, in six months, in six months, you know, everybody's coming back to the office. And understandably, as one of the largest real estate holders, you know, in Manhattan alone, they have a vested interest in people being in the office. So I was someone who was very happy with remote work. I tried to push the folks I knew at Google to think broader about remote work. And then the pandemic hit, and we were all working remotely. And Midway through the pandemic, there was an incredible role open for me. And everybody in the you know, in the leadership chain wanted me in this role. And HR at Google said, well, it's in New York. So when is she moving to New York? And everybody said, well, no, she doesn't need to move to New York. She's already doing the role. I mean, it's global. I would have been with London and Dubai. And and I said, um, no, not moving to New York. And they said, well, she'll have to sign a paper that when the pandemic is over, she's going to move to New York. And I just said, I'm done. Mm. 14 years of high performance And that's what I was being asked to do. And so I just walked away. I actually left with no job on the outside. I said, I've put in a wonderful many years here. I deserve a break. And I parted on good terms. I still have great respect for the company. And certainly the best part about the company is the people that work there. But I just said, I think I'm done here. And I realized that the day after I left, a weight felt lifted off my chest. And I realized that I love tech. I love products. I love marketing. I love running fast. I do not love working in a highly bureaucratic organization. I am not a patient person. I will say that frankly. And so then I found myself doing a lot of consulting work for small scale, highly fast growth entrepreneurial companies, ended up deciding to stick around with one of them, get on board, worked with Gated, had a wonderful three years with Gated. Um, We've just wrapped up, unfortunately, but That is the game we play in the startup world. But I I find myself, it's such a better fit for me. My superpower is finding clarity and focus and strategy in a chaotic world. I'm great at walking into a total mess and setting a clear strategy to reach clear goals. That is what I excel at. And so for me, I find a lot of joy in the absolute chaos of the high growth, crazy startup, early stage world.
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> wow. So I'm going to rewind to the I'm done moment. I, I had my I'm done moment, which um, propelled me to start my business. About five years ago, I was sitting in a board meeting and the story is, you know, it was all this travel and they pretty much are like, oh, that's all you've done. I'm like, um, do you know how many nights I've been away from my family? Like, I think at that point it was like October and I'd spend like 75 or 80 nights in a hotel that year. I'm like two and a half months and they're like, oh, that's all you're done. And I literally sat in that board meeting in my brain. I said, I'm done. And I got Mm -hmm. home and the following Tuesday I formed my business. And that moment, and I want to tell everybody, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, when you get to that point and you say, I'm done, it is Mm -hmm. best to leave then. Like, don't keep holding on when you have the I'm done moment. Because if the I'm done is coming from, and it usually comes from you have put so much work in and the powers that be don't appreciate, don't respect, don't Mm -hmm. like what you've done means nothing to them. Mm -hmm. They're never going to value you. It's never going to change. Be done. Step out on faith. Say like, I literally, I was like, okay, I'm done with this. I just can't.
1: Even that phrase, it also implies there was probably a period of for some people, it's a couple of weeks, for others a couple of months. There's probably a period at which you've been putting up with things. Yeah. And I feel like I'm done never comes out of the blue. I'm done is the it has racked up enough. It is time. And I agree, if you get to the point of I'm done, you probably already tried to improve it at some yeah. point in there. Yeah. And the I'm done is the moment where it's like this is not gonna change. You're absolutely correct. It is a marker in your brain. If you start saying to yourself, I'm done, then find the next good thing, say a polite farewell and move on.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it's having the, the ante, like you stepped away from your corporate career. I, uh, continue to work within that organization while I started my business, um, for probably around nine months, but it's the doing the scary thing, right. And whatever the scary thing is, the scary thing could be like, I'm stepping away from this full-time job. I'm going to start a business to put myself out there. I don't know how it's going to work. I'm yeah. going to start consulting on the side so I can make more money and go back to school. I'm going to sign up for school. Whatever it is, like just do it. When you yeah. feel that I'm done, the I'm done is signaling to your brain to let's go. It's so like, yeah. I'm done, let's go.
1: And I think you did it the smart way. Looking back, if I had been able to give myself some advice, it would have been start building the side something, not necessarily huge amounts of time, But start thinking about what is that thing that I could do on the side, even for two hours a week, that lights my fire or builds my network, right? When I left, it felt like I walked out into a world that I had no idea what was going on outside of these giant tech walls. If nothing else, spend two hours a week building your network and thinking about what you're going to do next. So I respect what you did, which is spending nine months essentially doing both, which is hard, Hard, (laughs) very hard,
0: hard. But you know what I did, Melissa, and this is a thing that most high achievers don't realize they're doing. I started giving my company a hundred percent and the extra 50%, because I was giving them 150. I gave yeah. that 50% to my business. So yes. Wesleyan went from working 70, 80 hours a week to working 40 hours a week for them <laughs> and giving myself 20 or 30, right? Because that's what we do when we are yeah. passionate and we love what we do. We give our organi- we give them our all. And so that yeah. was the mind shift that, and it literally took that moment for me to be like, I'm going to invest this time into myself, right? Yeah. I'm going to do this thing. And I tell people, I'm like, This is not easy, okay? Don't think that entrepreneurship is easy. (laughs) There are times when you have to pay people and you can't pay yourself. This is not an easy walk. But if you want to do it, set yourself little mile markers and road, um, road markers along the way, but realize like if you did it for them, you can do it for you.
1: Oh, I love that. That cuts so deeply. I will say my improv line, right? Yes. And the one thing I will add to that is set yourself, uh, I don't know how to phrase this really well, but- Especially when you're doing a side project or a passion project. It you could do it for a hundred percent of your like it could scale to everything all the time everywhere. The one thing I think I believe you did really smartly, and I know I've done recently with what I've been working on is set yourself limits, not to limit what you're doing, but to make sure that you're doing it really thoughtfully. So you could have gone out and built a new website and started getting clients and done content production. And I mean, there's always more to do, especially if you love it. So I would say when you do that, give yourself, like you said, milestones really clear. I'm going to get this in place. Then I'm going to get this in place. And then that's the one thing that helps it stay manageable. If you're trying to juggle, right. To set really clear milestones or focus goals.
0: Right. Because even as an entrepreneur, there are things that I want to do. Like I have side projects of like, okay, this is my my main business, but I have, I want to do this or I want to do this or I want to do that. And it's really important to, to have those boundaries and those limits to know that we have passions and we are good at a lot of things. There are a lot of things we're passionate about and we're good at, but we have to, I like to put it in tears. I'm like, How do I feed my family? (laughs) Okay, now this is how I feed my family. And once I feed my family, then, okay, this is vacation money. I can do this for vacation money. But vacation money doesn't pay for dyslexia therapy. How about that, right? Like, so we have to really prioritize the things that we have to do in life. And I really ask people when they say they want to start a business. I'm like, what's the thing you can do 100 hours a week and not get paid and still love it? They're like, what? What? I'm like yeah that's what entrepreneurship is. <laughs> like that's what if you don't have that mindset, then go work and it, it, we need employees. I need employees. You need employees. We need employees. Everybody doesn't have to start their own thing.
1: Yes, and everybody doesn't have to start their thing at every stage of life. That's right. the other thing I often find myself telling, especially moms for some reason reentering the workforce, they have this big guilt like they should be doing it now now now. I said, "No, no. You could be an entrepreneur." When it's right for your bit, like sometimes you just need a job that's paying the bills and that's totally okay. And so like putting it at the right point of life is the other thing. You may have an idea, want to build it, but it's not quite the right time. That's okay. Do a little something every day and then build it and build it and think about it. Yeah. Pacing, it's so critical to success.
0: It, it really is. It really is. I talk to I get a lot of people who are sending me messages and asking me questions and I'm like, Get some experience. It's okay to get experience. Learn on somebody else's dime and figure out I like this or I don't like that, right? Like without my corporate career, I would not have found the passion in the thing that I do today and the thing that I love. I mean, you said you like fixing things that are like chaos. I like, I tell people I like a hot mess, right? Like I like broken things and I want to fix it and I want to leave. Like somebody was like, do you just stay with companies? I said, no, I want to help you get to where you need to go. And I want to move on because I don't like the, when things are just routine, that's boring to me. Right. And so, but I know that. And I know that about myself because in my corporate career, the times I got bored, the times I wanted a promotion were when things were just moving along at a good pace and I didn't have to use my brain. So use your corporate career to do your research, like learn on somebody else's dime before you decide to go out here and invest all this money and time doing your own thing.
1: Oh, I hope everybody's really, really listening to that because A, I feel like I found a kindred sister in you and that's exactly (laughs) how I approach my work. But you're right. I love that idea of learn on somebody else's dime, not only the skills, right? Like the baseline skills, but to your point about how you work, learn how you work, what lights you up. I know people that would be so anxious and hate doing what we do in the operating in the gray areas. Right. And that's totally okay. Right. You guys can be in charge of scaling up or running big companies.
0: Right. Like I tell everybody and I, when I tell people this, they just look at me like I'm crazy. I say, Wesleyan likes to show up and be excellent. And they're like, what does that even mean? I'm like, I don't like to be in the weeds. Yes, I know a salesperson needs to use their CRM and you need to have process and all that built. I'll build the strategy. I'm not going to be in there building the stuff. I'm not going to build the onboarding plan. I will direct the strategy. I'll tell you the big ideas. I will speak. I will train. I will teach. I'll coach. But the back end stuff, I don't want to do it. And I know that about myself.
1: I love it. I was recently doing some soul searching because I'm kind of, you know, I'm in an in-between transition period right now. And I I landed on this phrase, which is really generic, but it actually means a lot to me. I threw it behind a hashtag, but it's Wesley likes to show up and be excellent. Melissa likes to do big things. So if you show up and you bring me something interesting, but it's kind of like, eh, like I'm not here for it. I like to do big things. And it might not be changing the world big. It might be a product, but I like to work on things where it's like, oh, that's a big thing. And it's so vague. But when I see a big thing, I know it. And when I know something's not a big thing, my energy level is just kind of, eh, I'm okay. Like I could probably help, but like, eh.
0: I want you to lean into that because I've been saying this for probably three years and people literally come up to me all the time and they say, Wesleyan, I'm showing up and being excellent just like you. So you want, because when you say this is what I like to do, it's like people are like, they associate that with you. And then they look at you and they watch you and they see what you do. And then they try to rinse and repeat. So you don't know who you are inspiring, who you are giving a seed, sowing into when you say that. So step in front of that. Like when I started saying it, I remember the first person I ever told that to, they were like, that sounds so cocky. Oh my gosh, what do you even say? I was like, this is what I want to do. And the thing is, that was like my, my North Star. Like, I want to show up and be excellent. So what that required me to do as a business owner was get all this stuff in my brain out. Mm. I had to learn how to scale. I had to learn how to delegate. And so that was my North Star. And knowing my North Star where I can take beyond 14 airplanes in seven weeks and still have a business to come back to that is making money and thriving without me. I had to learn what that meant. I stepped into what being excellent meant for me and it allowed me to open up and to scale. So step into it. Don't run away from it.
1: Just beautiful. I love it. Well, I also like your point. It introduces you to the people that, and I'm not saying everybody needs to think like us, right? Like we know it's great to work with people who think differently. In fact, yes, it's critical exactly. sometimes mm-hmm. because if everybody wanted to be us, that'd be tricky. But I also think it's nice because you, you pointed out, you can meet people and you kind of know your people. Now granted, again, if I had like 10 of me in a room, like nothing would ever get done. But this idea, I met someone at Pavilion's recent event in Nashville mm-hmm. and we were chatting, we were chatting. And I just realized this person, they have the same one-liner. For me, that person was a do big things person. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like the overlap in the way that we look at things, you could just mm-hmm. feel it. And so I imagine when you walk into a room and you find someone who's the show up and be excellent, you go, aha, yes. yes. Like we get each other
0: get it. I get it. And you're right. Like the people on my team, like they will barely get on camera. They don't want to show up and be excellent. Right. Like, and that's okay. Cause as you said, we need people around us who are different. And sometimes they're like, I need you to take that level down because you're going to burn yourself out, Wesleyan, right? Like, so you need the balance. Balance is good, but I think when you have a guiding light or a guiding line, you have a one line. you have a North Star, like lean into the North Star. Lean into the thing that you really want to do and think big, right? Think bigger than big can ever be. I literally, at the beginning of 2022, I said, oh, I want to be a paid speaker, I was doing a whole bunch of speaking events, like virtual stuff, and I'd never gotten paid for one. And within six weeks, I had my first paid speaking engagement. Why? Because I put it into the world. I told people, I want to be a paid speaker. Do you have opportunities where I can get paid to speak? And things started coming to me. So if you keep your visions and your thoughts and your ideas to yourself, then they never go anywhere.
1: That is so good. I find that to be very true right now in the job market as well. Put out into the world- the company that you're looking to work for, the role that you want, because you're right. As soon as people see it, they want to help. I think people would be surprised how fast good connections get made and things come your way when you tell them what you want.
0: Yes. That's so well said. So tell us what your passion project, what are you working on right now?
1: Well, if anybody knows me, they know my toxic trait is coming up with (laughs) more things to work (laughs) on. Um, I've got three, but I'll I'll say it quickly. the first is, is not so much a passion project. It's something that exists because I'll do it no matter what. And that is my, my podcast is two pizza marketing. So it's a show for marketers on small teams. And we talk about the struggles and the challenges. And that has been going for probably actually almost a year now. I have an incredible co-host and we will be pushing record whether or not anybody listens to it. They're awesome conversations and I just do it because it's my natural state of being and it's what I'm interested in. My real kind of public core focus right now is something that came up very organically. I um, ended up spinning up an entire LLC with a woman who I had never actually met in person. This is Wednesday Women, which is created specifically right now. It lives primarily on LinkedIn, but we are creating, we're actually going to be releasing some really interesting things on the website and in person in 2024. But Wednesday women is not another community for busy executive women. It is not something else that busy executive women leaders have to pay into or spend their time on. Our goal is to show everyone else in the world women who are already out there kicking butt and doing incredible things and being authentic examples of excellent leadership. So our job is to shine a spotlight. We want to have more examples of what real, authentic female leadership looks like. Across industries, um, You know, because it started on LinkedIn, it kind of started out as a little heavy tech and SaaS, but we're really looking broadly. And the goal is to just raise the visibility of extraordinary women leaders on LinkedIn and, especially as we go into 2024, on keynotes and stages and panels and podcasts. There is kind of a, a bummer of a trend, which is highly talented female leaders tend to focus on the work and not focus on promoting themselves, right? It may be, I've said this a million times, I don't have time to (laughs) promote myself, to go and talk about the work that I'm doing. It might be a feeling of I'm not good enough, right? I'm not one of those five female CEOs we see everywhere. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, but you're still a woman and you're leading and you're killing it. So whatever's holding them back, that's not their problem it's our problem. We need to be spotlighting and looking and seeing them and shining a light on what's being done rather than asking those women to go out and do more. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Wednesday Women is kind of nuanced in the sense that it feels at first like, oh, another community for women. Not at all. It is for everyone to get more excellent female leadership in their day-to-day visibility, like see more of it. So I've been rambling a little bit, but that's Wednesday Women. We're really excited about it. The momentum is crazy. It started out as something that Leslie Greenwood, my, my co-founder and I, really just wanted to do something very small. Once a week, we feature a extraordinary leader. And all of a sudden, that once a week feature turned into a lot more interest and a lot of momentum yeah. and a lot of ideas about where this could go. So we're really excited for things that are coming in 2024, but that's currently my big, big passion project, Wesleyan.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. We, where we spend our time, our energy, our effort, our passions come out. And I I would agree, you know, with women in executive leadership, even when they get to that frontline manager, they just kind of put their head down. And I always say that women and people of color, we are taught to put our heads down and work. And nobody tells us that you should promote yourself, you should volunteer for stuff, you should be out there, you should be authentic, you should do all the things. They're like, no, 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 put your head down to work. And that's how hard work is what gets you moving because we don't have someone else to say, hey, 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 let me open this door for you. Let me help you do this, right? And so we get stuck in that humdrum and that humdrum is what really impacts us and causes us to not take those steps in our career. So I really like that you guys are helping highlight women who really would never highlight themselves. And I definitely think that's a noble, noble thing. Yeah, I also
1: just feel like it's one more thing if you chat with these women as you said, women, people of color, anybody who's had this kind of, we've had to really work to get where we are in some way. And, you know, everybody has to work out, but like really, there's often a lot of that unspoken baggage that comes with it to say like, here's one more bag. And that's, you need to be brave enough and spend the time to talk about yourself. Yeah. Like if you're, we're hoping to do some education to help people feel more empowered to do that. However, I just don't think it needs to be one more bag we throw on the pile. Like, yeah. So our goal is really to do a lot of that so people don't have to. I mean, yes, we want them to feel empowered to, but if you're, you know, I was talking with an incredible CEO the other day and she has built this insanely amazing company. She built it. I mean, it's Alina of Chili Piper, Alina Vandenberg. She built it. She created the product. She brought it to life. She's running a company. Now she does a very good job of bringing her authentic personal brand out into the world but that is a job in itself it takes work it takes time it takes time away from her family and so if we can do any small part in helping shine a light on these examples so it's not just everybody's own responsibility i think it it's a small thing we can do actually for that group
0: I love it. I, I'm a firm believer of somebody helped me get to where I am today. And so it is my job. It is my responsibility to reach back and help pull somebody else up. Right. Because if we all sit in our bubble, then we just sit in our bubble. Like I tell everybody at my, I have an open calendar link. Very few people take me up on it and even fewer people book a second meeting. But if you need advice, if you need help, if you need something, like I am so happy to help. And the more that we can support each other, I think the stronger we become as a community of women leaders.
1: Well, I'm like, need to like go and book those calendar times with you right now. I bet your audience is like <laughs> running to book the calendar. We're like, what, 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 where is
0: this? Where is this? But you know, the funny thing, uh, Melissa is like, literally if somebody reaches out to me and they say, I want to pick your brain as long as they're not trying to sell me something. I have this problem. I want to meet with you. I'm like, here's my calendar. link. like, book it. They come on 20 minutes. I call it an unstuck session, 20 minutes unstuck with Wesley. And they come on there. I'm like, well, what's your biggest challenge? Let's work through it. Here are the action items. Here are the things that you can do to move you through that. When you've done that, book another meeting with me. Hmm. Literally, I have probably two people who've ever done that. Only two people have ever booked a second meeting. And why? Now I'm going to start. We're going to have a whole other podcast. Why? Because people say they want to. People say they want help. People say they want to be great, but they don't want to put the work in. This is not easy. Like, you see me here? Like, I didn't just show up and become excellent, right? And so that's the thing. It's like there's a work after. I'm not giving you a magic bullet. I'm not doing it for you. I will tell you how to get there. But that is the key. It's Do you want to do the work? You do the work. I love it. It
1: reminds me of the story. My father is an accountant, and he used to... um, We lived kind of near Cal Berkeley, and he actually did some financial help for the students at Cal who were signed into like the NBA and the NFL. And he gave them that advice, which is your family will come and ask you for money. Your friends will ask you for money. And he said, write everyone a thousand dollar check and say, when you pay me back, you come and you can ask for more. Mm. And no one ever did, right? Like no one ever did because that way they're not saying, no, no, I can't. And everybody wants a piece. And you're like, yes, sure. Here you go. When you pay me back, Then you can get a bigger loan and no one ever does. I mean, it's such an interesting psychological principle that you brought up, which is do that little bit of work and I'm here for you. But if they don't give that little bit, you're not going to waste your time on more.
0: And the thing is, and I'm very humble and I'm like, people pay me hundreds and hundreds and thousands of dollars for what I'm giving you for free. And if you don't take this, like I was at a conference a few weeks ago and I was talking to somebody who's transitioning to a new business. And so I literally helped her figure out like her ideal client profile and her value proposition in like 20 minutes, right? Just just talking. She was like, how much do I owe you? I was like, nothing. This is what I give to the world as small business owners, as entrepreneurs, the corporations, they pay me to come train their teams. And this is what I want to do because there's enough for everyone to have a slice we don't, yes. as we don't have to fight for the crumbs like let's all have a slice of cake and so if i can help you get a bigger slice of cake or i put some frosting on your cake that's what i'm gonna do right and so yeah that's my whole stick
1: <laughs> uh my daughter's been listening to hamilton non-stop the world is wide enough for all of us right like that Yes, is the- <laughs> yes
0: literally it is it is big enough it is wide enough
1: I think you've also just got a new business model. I want to start doing unstuck sessions. Can we like create a thing where, you you know, people just do unstucks and that we have a model and it, there's no actual business here. I'm just saying it, like, I would love to, especially when you're in transition, it's a great moment to just give some of the time. I did some office hours for a startup week up here and I just did marketing office hours, but mm. they were so fun. I would love to continue that model. I may be straight up stealing with pride because I like it
0: look <laughs> listen 20 minute unstuck and you said that and unfur- i think i'm probably gonna kick off november and saying hey guys <laughs> this is what i like do you want to book an unstuck session with me here's the link and i'll let you know the analytics on how many people take me up on it and how many people have followed through because it's unfortunately it's just not that great
1: i love it let's do an experiment let's do it during the holidays we should do it too post it and see what we get
0: mm-hmm. post and see right post and All see right. what happens Oh, Melissa, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm so, Mm -hmm. so, so glad that we got to connect today. What is the one best way people can reach out to you if they want to connect?
1: Probably best. I'm fairly active these days on LinkedIn. So I think my LinkedIn profile is probably a great way. I still am able to get through the mess of DMs, even though we tried to solve the mess of email with gated. Email is just a hot mess. So (laughs) find me on on LinkedIn, shoot me a ping or a connection, and I'd love to... uh, Love to hear what everybody's working on. I like to see people that are doing big things, as we talked about.
0: Big things. Yes, Melissa, doing big things. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you again for your time, your talent, and your expertise. This has been a fantastic conversation.
1: Thank you, Esleen. You're such a gem. I'm so glad to be here.
0: And that was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Remember, every day, try to transform your sales. Until next time.